A pioneer is dead. Sidney Poitier, the Bahamian-American actor, passed away last Thursday at the age of 94. In 1963, he became the first person of African descent to win an Oscar for Best Actor. The youngest of seven children, Poitier was the son of tomato farmers who went between Florida and the Bahamas, but he was able to come to the U.S. on a more permanent basis at the age of 15. He began acting, intentionally softened his Bahamian accent. Poitier's work helped change perceptions of black people in the 50s and 60s. He refused any part he saw as demeaning, instead playing the roles of detective, doctor, and teacher. Sidney Poitier successfully blazed a trail for other black actors to follow. Christians of all ethnicities have an even greater trailblazer, Jesus Christ. He has opened the way into heaven for all those who call in his name, every tongue, nation, and tribe. Welcome to Haven Today. Here it is Monday. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus, and we are continuing a series we started last week called All the Bible in 90 Days. We began the new year with a challenge, a challenge to read God's Word together. In a season of pandemic and certainly uncertainty, it's so important to see the big picture that's painted by a big God in His Holy Word. Well, today we'll be looking at a passage from the Old Testament that may need to be rescued. Sounds a little bad, doesn't it? But here's what I mean. Some passages are so familiar to us that we can miss what they're actually saying. Sometimes a passage needs to be rescued from familiarity. So, don't go away. We're going to look at the book of Joshua, which leads us and points us to Jesus. Last week, we spoke with the creator of the Bible in 90 Days reading plan, Ted Cooper. And I'd like you to hear very briefly a little bit about who he is and why he challenged himself to read the Bible all the way through in less than three months. I was agnostic. My wife was agnostic. And uh, but we had three children at that point that were getting to the age where they were impressionable. And we decided that rather than have them grow up in a non-Christian household or in a household in which we were blatantly disavowing God and Jesus Christ, we thought, well, gosh, you know, let's let them go to church, be in Sunday school, and make up their own minds. So Mm -hmm. we decided to bundle them up, throw them in the car one Sunday, take them to a church that uh, we knew had a very good youth program and that I, in fact, had attended to as a, as a child and walked through the door with them. So we made that mistake, we crossed the threshold, and we joined a class called Discovery 101 that was led by a wonderful pastor by the name of uh, Carl Hamilton. Carl Hamilton would ask a question or pose a question that I just couldn't answer, that my worldview couldn't answer, and it made me mad. Mm. And he mm. suggested that the Christian worldview really did have the answer. This made me mad. It took me out of my comfort zone. And so the noodling that I did arrived at at a plan. And the plan was, I want to get back in my comfort zone. The way that I can do that is to actually read the book that's supposed to tell me all about the Christian faith. Yes. And so I need to figure out a way to do it. And frankly, and do it as quickly as possible so that I can go back to my disbelief and my comfortable life. 
I was reading along. I was trying to be very open-minded about it. I didn't want to go in with a defeatist attitude. I didn't expect to have my mind changed by it, but I didn't want to read it in such a way that I would clearly not have my mind changed by it. So mm-hmm. with a fairly open mind, I started reading it. I kept reading it. I read 12 pages a day, and darn it, halfway through, I didn't realize that I was actually believing when I was reading. It changed my life so dramatically and yet so subtly at the same time. I had to accept that I wasn't in charge. He is in charge. And if I'm going to have a life that has has meaning, I better figure out what the creator's plan for me is and get with that program. Ted Cooper, the creator of the Bible in 90 Days, sharing some profound words about how the Bible changed his life. So here's my invitation. Would you join me? And together, we'll read the Bible over the next three months together. It is a quick read, only about 12 pages a day, but it will help you to see the great story of redemption found in God's Word in a vibrant and dramatic way. You can get started today. Just visit us at haventoday.org after the program and sign up for the special weekly email that includes the reading plan you can download and do it today. It's free and it will give you weekly insights and encouragement in what you will be reading each week as you go through all of God's Word. You can do that at haventoday.org. Or you can ask for the reading plan bookmark when you call us at 800 654 2836-865-HAVEN. Now, we also have an actual copy of the Bible that in 90 days will show you where to start and where to end each day. It has a larger print, and it's in a slimmer book, so it's easier to read and bring with you wherever you go. And for your gift to help support this ministry, we'll send you the Bible right away. Once again, our number is 800-65-HAVEN, or our website is haventoday.org. And now let's get the program and the week started with Hallelujah Music.
album appropriately entitled We Will Glorify and Alleluia Music and No Condemnation opening this haven today. I'm Charles Morris. Here it is Monday, and we're back in all the Bible in 90 days. You know, this is not my first time reading through God's Word in three months, but every time I do, I'm surprised by what I missed the last time. Ever felt that way? There you are, reading the scriptures by yourself, or maybe with your family, or you're sitting there in church listening to your pastor preach from the Bible, and something hits you. It's always been there, of course, but you've never really seen it or thought about it. The Bible has a way of doing that to all of us, doesn't it? That's the way the Spirit works. And that's not such a surprising thing if you really stop and think about it. After all, as the Apostle Peter told us, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it only makes sense that there's more in this inspired book than you and I can ever find in a lifetime. As someone once put it, the Bible is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim. So let's take a look at the passage in the Old Testament that may need to be rescued. Let's think about chapter 5 in the book of Joshua. The people of Israel had already sent spies into Jericho. They had crossed the Jordan River as God miraculously parted the waters. And the enemy kings in the Promised Land reacted exactly the way you would have expected. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. And they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. So that's it, right? It's time for the conquest to really begin. Off to Jericho, there's no stopping us now. Not exactly right. Yahweh gave them a stop sign, right when everything seemed like a green light. Now I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that you've experienced something like this. You're all ready for the next step. Maybe it's taking a new job or enrolling in a new school or something else in your life. And just as you were getting ready to get started, you had to hurry up and wait. Our plans are often different than God's plans, aren't they? I know mine often are. But he has his reasons, and the future is in his hands. Even when his people were finally entering the promised land after 400 years, but instead of telling Joshua to go ahead with the conquest, Yahweh told him to circumcise all the men of Israel. Now, that's one of the things that should grab our attention. After all, this should have been done when they were babies. The fact that the men were old enough to be warriors and still needed to be circumcised shows how badly their parents had failed. They had disobeyed the command of God. The previous generation died in the wilderness because they had turned into being sinful and rebellious. But before we're too hard on them, we need to realize that we are really no better. We're sinful too, aren't we? You and I can try to deny it, but when it comes to God's law, none of us are up to snuff. And this new generation that was finally being circumcised, what was to keep them from going in the same direction their parents and grandparents had gone? 
only the grace of Yahweh. But anyway, they were circumcised. And at that moment, the manna stopped. This miraculous bread that the Lord sent to sustain them in the wilderness ended for a simple reason. They weren't in the wilderness anymore. They found themselves camping in that land of promise. And they celebrated their very first Passover within the borders of Canaan. In other words, they remembered and celebrated Yahweh's goodness to them, and they were reassured of his grace to them in the present. No matter how they might have felt, this was not enemy territory. It was God's land. And clearly, this conquest wasn't going to be something that they did by their own strength. So what happened next? We're told, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Now, have you ever run into someone you didn't expect to see? Maybe an old friend or acquaintance or a family member out of place. It probably happened more before COVID when more people were out and about doing things, but it can be quite a shock, can't it? Sometimes we don't even realize it's someone we know for a handful of seconds. Well, Joshua was having one of the most surprising meetings ever recorded. God was there, the divine warrior standing in front of Israel's leader. And the question was, was he part of Israel's army or part of the Canaanite army? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And that's when we're told in Scripture, Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Neither. That's not how we are trained to answer yes and no questions, is it? But this figure didn't owe Joshua any allegiance. Joshua owed him allegiance. And his answer told Joshua that his question was wrong in the first place. This was Yahweh himself, the pre-incarnate Christ. And Joshua had to be clear about whose side he was on. In other words, was Joshua going to follow the Lord or not? After all, Yahweh, not Joshua, fought the battle of Jericho. So Joshua did the reasonable thing. He asked a question. What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, remember when we looked at Exodus 3 only last week? The pre-incarnate Christ appeared to Moses in that burning bush, and he sent this man Moses to deliver the people of Israel from Egypt. And what happened when Moses approached the miraculous burning bush? The angel of the Lord told him to take off his shoes. And why did he do that? Because he was standing on holy ground. Wherever God's special presence is, it becomes a holy space. The presence of Yahweh made Canaan holy. Just like the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later the temple, and just like back in the Garden of Eden, remember what happened in Genesis 3? God judged Adam and Eve after they sinned. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Well, here was Joshua, now at the eastern edge of the promised land, 
the same direction Adam and Eve had been driven out from the Garden of Eden. And there stood an angelic figure standing at the edge of this land with a sword, just like the cherubim. The sword was drawn against Joshua. He was a representative for the people of Israel. And the question became, would he and they survive? And the answer was yes. This was judgment day for Joshua, but he wasn't cut off. And this is a picture of the final judgment, when the entire world will be under God's drawn sword. But those who trust in Jesus Christ have no need to fear this coming judgment. That's the gospel. We call it good news. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, whether Joshua or people like you and me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, we're told in Joel 2. Only in Christ can we stand on holy ground and live. Only through our Savior do we have confidence that we will pass the judgment because he has already won the victory in our place. We have a commander who fights for us. What does the name Joshua even mean? The Lord saves, or the Lord is my help. That's what God did through Joshua. He helped and delivered his people. But we always needed a better Joshua, a greater Joshua. And that's what we get when Jesus was born. After all, Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Those of us who trust in Christ have passed through the judgment in Jesus, and so we have nothing to fear. The only one who can condemn us is the one who fought for us. You see, it's really all one story from start to finish, this greatest story ever told, and it's all about Jesus. Won't you join me as we read our Savior's story this year? Why don't you join me and pray right now? Lord, we lift our voices and our hearts and minds up to you here on this Monday. Lord, it's kind of exciting to be able to hear how an Old Testament story points to the New Testament story and how a pre-incarnate Savior, Jesus, showed up to Joshua and then today, after the cross, after the resurrection, Jesus still shows up to us. All I can say is thank you. And as we give thanks, I pray that you would encourage each of us to read all of your word. And maybe some of us can do it in 90 days. So we offer this prayer to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In their fiery words and rhymes In the pages of the patriarch We can read on every line Of the kindness of commandments And of all he undertook That before we called he answered us In the pages of the book Served in blood and tears to speak to each new age. Come read the very thoughts of God, hear what wisdom has to say. For in three thousand years and more, 
Hold a vast and priceless treasure in the palm of just one hand. And no true transformation as you take it up and look at the flesh and bone and blood of truth in the pages of the book. And the pages of the book are turned with trembling on. As we witness wonders there, they only take full song. We go as deep as we can go and look as hard as we can look. But we only stretch the surface of the meaning of the book. And the pages of the book are turned with trembling on. As we witness wonders there and only faithful souls, we go as deep as we can go, look as hard as we can look, but we only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. We only scratch the surface of the meaning of the book. We've had him in the program in the past. Uh, He's not doing any new music, I think, today, but that was Michael Card singing the book for us here on A Haven Today on a Monday, All the Bible in 90 Days. I really want to encourage you to read the Bible this year. More and more studies are showing that Christians are just not reading God's Word. And that comes on the heels of Christians saying they are more anxious today than ever before. Do you want to hear from the Lord? Then take this challenge with me and read his word over the next three months. It's a little work, but the payoff is eternal. And when you follow the Bible in 90 days reading plan, you'll get the big picture, the great story of redemption that always points to Jesus. And to help you do this, I'd like to encourage you to sign up for a special weekly email That includes the reading plan you can download, along with insights into what you'll be reading that week. It's free to sign up. You can do that by visiting us right now at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. Or you can ask for the reading plan bookmark when you call us. And we also have a special Bible in 90 Days Bible. (laughs) I hope that's not redundant which shows you where to start and where to end each day. It has larger print and a slimmer book. It's easy to slip this Bible into your backpack or into a briefcase or a large purse so you can read it anywhere. And for your support of Haven Today, I'd like to send you this special Bible right away. So here's our telephone number that you can call right now. Make your gift to the ministry but ask for the Bible in 90 days. Our number to call is 800-654-2836. 800-65-HAVEN. And once again, our website is haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for starting your week with me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again we'll get to share together the great story. It's all about Jesus. Here on Haven Today.
Here for your encouragement and your walk with Jesus, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. What do blessing and mourning have to do with each other? And I mean mourning as in deep sorrow or grief. They sound like opposites, don't they? Not for Jesus, though. He puts them together in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The point is not that you should want to be sad. Mourning is a symptom of a fallen world, and it'll touch all our lives. The point is that if, actually no, that's when you mourn, you have the promise of comfort from Jesus himself. Is your heart heavy today? Are you going through a time of mourning yourself? Consider this a nudge from God's Word to come and bring your sorrows to Jesus. Go deeper in God's Word daily with Anchor Devotional. Try it out at getanchor.com.